0: Good morning, everyone uh, who is here in person, and good morning, everyone who is joining us online. We really appreciate that you are uh, partaking in this new series that we started several weeks ago. Boy, is it a doozy. The series is called Find Your Voice. We are learning to discuss hot-button cultural issues with grace and truth. In case you haven't been here for a while, we talked about abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. We talked about God and government we talked about LGBTQ part one, part two was transgenderism last week. Whoa! And what now? We're moving into two weeks on racism and violence. We ordinarily don't cover these things. We usually pick a passage of the Bible and go verse by verse through it. But we're covering this now because let's face it, we're not that good at talking about these things with grace and with truth. And I'm admitting that I need help. And I'm saying that we need help as a church learning how to discuss these things better. So the goal is not, I hope this is not what you want, the goal is not for me to tell you what I think about these things. Who cares, right? Everybody say, who cares? Who cares cares what he thinks? The goal is not for me to stand up here and tell the congregation what you think about these things. Well, I hope he agrees with me. Everybody say, who cares? I don't care what you think. <laughs> I hope in a church, you want to know what the Word of God says about these matters. Amen? Amen. Isn't that what you want? Uh, so that's, that's where we're going. And <clears throat> boy, there's, there's a temptation in me to just dive into the center of the deep end on racism and violence and talk about everything from uh, historical racism and slavery and Black Lives Matter, the movement and critical race theory, and instead, I think it would be much wiser and more edifying to take a whole day to lay the spiritual foundation on which we can build a Christian framework of understanding on this topic. So what biblical principles apply when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to racism and injustice? What are the biblical principles that we have to get down first before we try and build something, a belief system? And um, what I'm presenting to you today uh, is unbelievable and unthinkable and impossible, okay? I'm not giving you a little teeny solution to a giant big problem. I'm giving you the solution, the only solution found in the Bible. Uh, I have a plan for permanent, permanent unity of humanity across all racial barriers. Listen, my plan is for permanent unity among humanity across every racial barrier. Where can you find that? Uh, Only in Jesus. The plan is a person, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one who can bring this to earth. He's it. And so we're going to learn about how Christ alone can achieve permanent unity across all racial lines. When Jesus builds his church, he's assembling people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, not just to get together in a building for an hour and a half once a week, to actually fuse us together at the soul forever. When I think of puzzles, there are, some, there are puzzles out there that are called the hardest puzzles to solve on earth. Check it out. Here's a picture of one of the hardest puzzles to solve on earth. It is a 1,000-piece puzzle uh, that <laughs> looks just like a bunch of wine corks. Good luck with that one. Where does this brown piece go? Here's the next one. This puzzle is super hard because it's just black lines on white, and good luck getting that together. Where do... Oh, wow. A thousand pieces. That'll take you forever. And then this next one is even better because it's just clear pieces, uh, but, but you can't even tell which side is up and down. So not only do you have to figure out where they go, but you're not even sure if it's the right side up. And there's no picture. They're just clear pieces. <laughs> Now those are like the hardest puzzles to solve, Uh, but, but I think when it comes to really the hardest puzzle to solve, it's what Jesus is doing with the church. Bring humans together who are from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and get them not just to like get by each other uncomfortably, but to actually be fused together spiritually forever? Wow. Let's pray. Jesus, what a wonderful thing you're doing in your church. And you are making us into a new humanity. People from every background. Show us today the spiritual foundation on which we can build a belief system that evaluates racism and violence and shows a better way forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the verses uh, primarily are going to be Ephesians 2. You can open up to Ephesians 2.12. We will also go to Galatians 3. But Ephesians 2 is the big one. Galatians 3 is also where we will be. And uh, as you're turning there, um, the Apostle Paul wrote these books. They're called Epistles. And when he wrote these books, the church was just newborn. It was baby church. He was helping people from Roman and Greek culture, Jewish culture, to actually learn how to get along together. Um, You you think that uh, when it comes to segregation that the U.S. has been bad. Well, back then, you know, you didn't, even, you didn't even eat with someone from a different ethnicity than you. You didn't get together. You couldn't go to each other's festivals or parties. It was like separate lives. So they knew what that was like, and now they were all coming together in church. So it says in Ephesians 2, verse 12, remember that you were, so he's talking about our past before we became Christians. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So unpacking this, we will talk about some relational things that he describes, and then some pictures that he gives us to show us what's going on in the spiritual realm. The first thing you can write down is this, Jesus alone reconciles us to God. Jesus alone reconciles us to God. Circling back to verse 12, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, our starting point as humans is separation from God. Now that's true whether you were raised in a Christian household or not. You were born with a grand canyon of separation between you and a holy God. Listen, your parents and your grandparents may have been devout Christians who went to church and maybe dragged you along throughout your childhood. That, that did nothing to fill in the grand canyon of separation that existed between you and god in fact at some point when you were in sunday school or working on your little awana badge right it should have dawned upon you i need god's son and only jesus can bring you to god that's the gospel you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel means Israel's a nation called out of Egypt in the Old Testament to become the chosen people of God who would bring the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. So because you were outside of that people of covenant, you didn't have that inside track on the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's here, right? You were outside of all of that. Strangers to the covenants of promise, God made promises to Israel that Gentiles were not included in. And therefore, having no hope and without God in the world. That's our starting point. No hope, no God. No hope, no God. If I were to say, how did you come to know God? If you were like, oh, I've always known God. Uh Uh-uh. You started with no hope. You started with no God. What changed? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see what happens when you just assume, oh, God and I, we go way back. We've always been good. Well, then why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Uh, I don't know, for those sinners out there. See, you're separating yourself, and you're saying, I didn't need somebody, a hero, to come down from heaven to save me from my sin, because God and I are buddies. You're denying your nature. For he himself is our peace. So you see that Jesus alone reconciles us to God. We were spiritually separated from God, alienated from israel strangers it says to the covenant without hope without god i like that word strangers that's where it all begins so i remember back in the year 1996 in college i did not know my future wife we were strangers we were strangers we had no affiliation we had we think maybe we swam at the Palis pool together once right when we were growing up we went to the same pool we also had the same pediatrician maybe we sat in the waiting room together, I don't know. But then my friend went out to dinner with his girlfriend at the time and met Lauren and said, I've got a friend who might like to meet you. Oh, really? So she gave, there were no cell phones back then, beepers had just come in, right? And so she wrote down on a piece of paper, that's white stuff that comes from a tree, and wrote down on a piece of paper her phone number to give to him to give to me. And then I called her and we talked for like two hours. Whoa, oh, you go to this? place. Oh, I go to this. Oh, what's your bad? Boom, boom, you know, sparks flew. And then we, then we met in person, right? There was no way of seeing pictures of each other online before you meet. There was no Facebook stalking, right? It was just, well, let's meet. So I went to the country house restaurant down the street, laid eyes on her, and I got down on one knee and proposed. I mean, that no, that's, wasn't that fast. <laughs> God did a really good thing to help us get from strangers to first meeting to first date to we're dating to eventually I did get down on one knee and propose. She said yes. Now we've been married over 20 years. Can you believe it? Isn't that awesome? God did that. Yeah. So but but listen we were strangers. We were strangers. Like if I had just walked up to her at that restaurant and been like we're going to be together forever. She'd be like, get out of here, creep. <laughs> there needs to come a point where we're no longer strangers. We get to know each other, right? You and God, you're strangers at first. Well, my grandma was a whole, she knew him, not you. You need, you need to go to God. Because only Jesus can reconcile us to God. Jot this down we were divided from God and from one another. There was separation. So there was separation between God and us and between us and others, right? The idea here is Gentiles and Jews were separated. Gentiles couldn't barge into Israel and be like, I'm now a chosen one too. There was separation, right? We were far off. And so Jesus, it says in verse 14, our peace has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh flesh That's his body on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility. What was Jesus doing up there on the cross? Dying for all my sins. Oh, that's a lot bigger than that. He was breaking down all the barriers that exist between all the people of all the world through all history. Wow. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, in the place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So there is vertical, we're apart from God, and it's horizontal, we can't get together with each other. So we were divided from God and from one another, and we were locked out of God's presence. So the hatred that people have for other people who are different from them The source of that ultimately is our defiance, rebellion, and separation from God. Because we have a defiant spirit toward God, we have a hostile spirit toward other people. Because we have a problem with the Creator, we have a problem with His creation. If the vertical problem doesn't get fixed first, the horizontal problem never will. And Jesus came to fix that. The idea that we're locked out of God's presence makes it hopeless that we can unify around anything that's eternal. I heard about a mom who got locked out of her phone, her iPhone, because her child, here's a picture of a child with a phone, maybe you have a child with a phone, right? So much fun! You leave them alone for a while and they're trying to actually figure out your password and here's what happens. This mom, after it was all said and done, got locked out, Uh, you can go to the next picture, this mom got locked out for 23,664,690 minutes. And it kept going up to the point where it reached a grand total of 47 years until she can try again to get into this phone. Try again in 47 years. (laughs) She can't get into her phone for 47 years! Now look, you can't get into heaven. You're locked out. Right? You're locked out. This idea of Jesus coming down to give us access into the holy presence of God is fundamental to understanding how we are going to reconnect to God and how other people are going to reconnect to God. You can see how, if we don't agree with this, we can have some sense of spiritual independence and even superiority over other people in the world. But if we realize that we need a Savior, that's the beginning of the leveling factor found in Scripture. We were divided from God and from one another. Big wall separating us from God and from others. We've got a big problem. We are locked out of God's presence and we can't access heaven. Jesus had to come and grant access to all of us. All of us. Jot this down. Christ died to destroy the wall of hostility. The law here, which is mentioned in the scripture here, The law reflects the moral expectations of a holy God handed down by Moses. Moses stood on a mountain burning with fire. Nobody could touch the mountain or you would die. If an animal touched the mountain, it was dead. Okay. Moses came down glowing with the Ten Commandments. Now look, he didn't say, hey, here's ten ways that you can get up there and see God. Oh no, no one's going up there. Here's ten reasons you can't go to God's presence. That was the whole purpose of the law. You're not going up there. Here's ten reasons why. Now follow the Ten Commandments and God may come down for a time. But the law showed why we're separated from God. And each one of us in here, no matter what our background is, we have broken God's law. We've broken it in different ways. But someone once said, you You break God's law like you break a pane of glass. No matter where you strike it, you break the whole thing. You can't break it a little. So we break it differently, but we've all broken the law. The law reflects the moral expectations of a holy God that we have all broken. The law also reflects religious and ethnic barriers set up for Israel to protect it from worldliness and idolatry. So there were principles in the law to protect national Israel from becoming corrupt. That's the law. It separated Gentiles from Jews. Jews, and here's the thing, Jews had the laws and broke them. Gentiles didn't have the law and they broke it. They're all lawbreakers. The Jews were nothing special. But there was a dividing wall of hostility now between us and God, between us and others. Here's a picture of the Great Wall of China, right? The Great Wall of China shows us, you can see it from space, you know, good luck getting from here to the other side. You can keep walking and walking and walking, but you can't get past it. Here's another picture. And this this is what welcome to earth. This is what exists between the nations, between the peoples. And it's almost as if you put a big roof on it, right? And you, and it also is you can't get to God. There was a wall. A wall and Jesus came to break down the great wall of separation. Here's a picture of the Jewish temple. What you see in the Jewish temple is, this is a model of it, but <clears throat> that wall that runs around it, not the big wall, the little wall that runs around it on the outside, that led to the court of the Gentiles. The idea there was Gentile, you're not a Jew, Gentile, you can't pass that barrier, right? Meaning you can't get into, that tall building would be the holy place within it would be the most holy place which was considered to be god's presence on earth stop you can't get in there if a gentile there's a sign if you go past this sign you will die today now that reflected a spiritual principle that we are not allowed in god's holy presence they only let the high priest in one day a year right God's presence was walled off, but then when Jesus came down, he tore the curtain, and he allows not just Jews, but people from all the nations to come into God's holy presence. So Christ died to destroy the wall of hostility between us and God, and he died and broke it down so that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, by faith, can come into God's holy presence and can then become a new humanity. That's what it means when it says here, in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments, he fulfilled them, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to all you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we get into God's holy presence together in Christ. It's in him. It's the only place we can find a basis for actually becoming a united people across any racial, ethnic, national barrier, together, united before God no walls. That can only happen in Christ. Number one, Jesus alone reconciles us to God. Number two, jot this down, Jesus alone gives us equal standing in God's holy presence. So good, we're all there. Wow, look around. Here we are. We've all got access. I can see people from every different background and ethnicity and race and We're all here, but how terrible would it be if then I was like, well, how lucky that people like you got in here. Meaning, I'm here, you're here, but we're both in God's presence. No, Jesus didn't just come to bring us all into his presence. He alone can grant us equal standing in God's presence. So when you look around in heaven, there's going to be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue equal. Now, we have to understand that we were, we were against God. It's not like God has favorites. Well, I really like that group of people. Of course, they're getting in. No, we were all hostile to God. The Bible says we were separated, alienated, strangers, far off, right? Right? So we didn't have a relationship with God. There was a wall of hostility. There was war between us and God. And so our starting, here's some pictures of war. Here was our starting point with God, right? This is us. God, get out of here. Here's the next picture. Stay away from my life, right? I hate you. I hate your people. Or I think I don't need you. Here's another picture, right? This is us and God. Jesus came to make peace between us and God. So it would be a mistake to assume that we have this superior posture in God's presence. No, no, we were all enemies. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 to is a parallel passage. We'll put that up on the screen. Here's what Peter says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. I like all that. Wow who called you out of darkness, what? That's spooky, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We started in the dark, not God's people, no mercy. Jesus changed that. If we don't recognize our starting point, real easy to get all hyped up on ourselves. So jot this down. Jesus alone can make us citizens of Christ's kingdom. He gives us equal standing. We are citizens of His kingdom. Heaven, uh, heaven, belongs to Christ, and heaven is not your kingdom. It belongs to another. Heaven is. Everyone thinks of their own personal heaven, right? Oh, when I get there, I'm going to have a a house on a farm field with a porch, and I'm. It's not yours. It's not you I'm going to make it whatever I want. No, it's not yours. It's his. He's the king. It's his kingdom. You get to go to it if you have faith in him. It's his, not yours. Right? So we are all equally citizens. We have our citizenship in heaven and that gives us equal standing in Christ's kingdom. We belong cuz he's prepared a place for us. So no one barges in, "Oh, I'm here." Where's my plot of land? No one barges in unless Jesus saves us and welcomes us as citizens into his kingdom. That means we have equal standing. Jot this down we are also family in God's household. So it says in verse 19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God welcome into my kingdom come all the way into my household you're my children wow wow this is so humbling when you think about a lot of the problems we have in the world when it comes to racism a lot of it is tied toward nationalism I don't want those people in my country okay God's got a country God's got a country and we are foreigners outside the wall and he has to bring us in and give us our citizenship and he doesn't like put us in some bad neighborhood right walks straight into the household straight up to the dinner table and we all become children that's so equal we're family in God's household now there's a lot of awkward families out there So, family might not be a fun word for you. I've got some pictures of awkward families. Here's some awkward family photos, right? When you think of your family, you might be like, whoa, who would take a picture like that? That's an awkward family. Here's another picture. This family's awkward. You can see the kid is like, ah! Stop it, mom! Here's the next picture. This is an awkward family photo. They're like, eee. The dog had to get in there. And here's the next picture. It's like an awkward family photo. Everyone's going to wear the same shirt. Did you grow up in an everyone's going to wear the same shirt family? Here's the next picture. These are from awkwardfamilyphotos.com. You can look at them all day long. All right, we're all going to sit here. Where's grandma going to sit? I don't know, back there. Awkward. And here's another one. I think this is the last one. Awkward. Let's all dress up like gingerbread men. Okay, I guess we will. All right, now, but listen, I'm going to tell you that the most awkward family on earth is the church. All right all right, we're weird. We're weird in what we believe. We're weird in how we behave. We're really weird. Different churches have different preferences. We fight weird. You go to different countries. The church is so weird. We're the weirdest family on earth. But we're all going to be around the same table when Christ comes back, right? We are family in God's household. We have equal love from the Father, We have an equal seat at the table. We've all been adopted. This is like a Peter Pan situation. We're all like the lost children who've been brought in as orphans to the Father's house to live forever as honored guests in His kingdom. Do you realize how humiliating that is? Where did you start? In the dark, at war with God, didn't even know Him, headed to hell. Then what happened? Oh, He fixed it all. When you realize that's true about you, When you realize that's true about you, you're not going to look down on other people. You see how this is crucial to this conversation? Jesus alone gives us equal standing in God's holy presence. We're citizens of Christ's kingdom. We're family in God's household. Jot this down. We're stones in God's temple. We're stones in God's temple. "...you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God." Verse 20, "...built on the foundation..." Now there's a building image. "...of the apostles and the prophets." That means the apostles spread the gospel, told people about Jesus. They were eyewitnesses that laid the foundation for the church. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus always takes the supreme position in all of the metaphors of the church. If we're a flock, he's the shepherd. If it's a building, he's the cornerstone or the capstone." Uh, if, if if it's a uh, vine, he's the root, right? So Jesus always takes this. If it's a body, he's the head, and he's not just supreme; he's also the unifying feature of that metaphor. He's he's the top, and he's the unifying feature of that metaphor. All the church metaphors are meant to show he's supreme and he's the one that unifies us. Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. Now we're becoming that temple of God. In the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow, now we're cemented together in this metaphor. Let me just get some masonry tools out and literally cement you to the person next to you. Wouldn't that be a fun exercise? In light of church unity, where we realize spiritually we are cemented soul to soul, we're actually going to cement some people together to show them what it's like to be the church. Filled with God's glorious presence, His Spirit unifies us. We are like stones in the temple. Now, when you think stones in the temple, don't think little brick, right? Oh, I'm just a little brick. Here's a picture of the stones that are used to put together God's temple. Check it out. This is a guy standing next to one of them that's still up in in Israel. That's a stone. Here's another picture. They found this building stone somewhere in the ancient world. That's a stone. That's you. In other words, when God sets you down, you're not going anywhere. And when he puts a stone next to you, meaning somebody who's different from you, what are you going to do? Look over that stone and be like, you're a shade darker than me. You must not be as important of a stone as I am. Do you see how ridiculous it is when you realize the spiritual truth of what God's building? The pride in any form doesn't match with what we're learning about the church. We're cemented together with everyone from all these different tribes and nations, and we were put there by the grace of God. Why on earth would we be like, yeah, but I'm still better? How foolish. So, number one, Jesus alone reconciles us to God. We're divided from God and one another. Christ died to destroy the wall of hostility. Two, Jesus alone gives us equal standing in God's holy presence. We're citizens of his kingdom, we're family in his household, we're stones in his temple. Number three, jot this down. Jesus alone can make us one. Now we're going to turn to Colossians or Galatians 3. So turn to Galatians 3. Just to the left. I accidentally turned to the right. Don't tell anybody that I don't know the order of the books of the Bible. Just kidding. Galatians 3, verse 27 to 28. And here's what it says. It says, For as many of you as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, have put on Christ. So the idea here is like a garment. You've you've put on Christ like he's your uh, identity that covers everything else about you. There is neither, therefore, Jew nor Greek. So imagine you're a part of the first congregation, right? There's a Jewish person sitting next to you and you're a Greek. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Now did their Jewishness or Greekness suddenly Vanish? No. It means when you're covered with Christ, that is no longer a dividing element of your identity. It's huge. When you're covered with Christ, these distinctions are no longer a dividing element of our identity. You're no longer Jew or Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Imagine you're sitting next to somebody who, back in the ancient world, was literally owned by somebody under Rome. You're a slave. You're not slave, you're not free. Well, the slave might feel like, what does that mean? Well, he's still a slave, and there's a lot of commandments that gave him a way to actually express that in a godly way back then, right? But in Christ, those things, those things are gone in your essential relationship to God and one another. Look, you're in Christ. You're equal. Your identity is covered with Christ. There's neither male nor female. What does that mean? While there are a lot of cultural differences and distinctions made between men and women, rights, freedoms, right, in Christ, that is not a dividing element of your identity. That doesn't divide. Well, yeah, we're all in the church, but I mean, you know, women... Uh, no, no, no. Well, we're all in the church, but, you know, those people... No, there's no but. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, you are His. I am His. She is his, that you are Abraham's offspring, that harkens all the way back to the original promise to bring salvation to the world, and heirs according to the promise. You belong to Christ, you're covered with Christ, and you're one in Christ. This is the vision that the world needs to fix the problem of racism and violence. Oneness, unity at the soul level that then works its way out in every word and thought and action. So Jesus alone, number three, can make us one. All right, we all got into the presence of God. We're all here. And you're all equal? All right, we're all equal. And you're all united at the soul forever. What? It's bad enough that I'm in here with all these different people for me and that they're the same worth, and now I'm stuck at the soul with these people? you see how a person who's got a big problem with those people isn't going to feel very comfortable in heaven? We're all in, we're all equal, and we're all united forever. Welcome to heaven. Is that paradise to you, or is that hell to you? Jesus alone can make us one. And this is the heart of the gospel. God's global plan to reconcile humanity. Luke 2, 10-11. We'll put that up on the screen. What was Christmas all about? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for one race of people. Oh wait, that's not what it says. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christmas was about the world. John 17, 21 to 23, Jesus was praying before his agonizing death on the cross. I pray that they all, all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Perfectly one. It was Jesus' dying wish. Acts 2, 5-12, the church launched. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together at Pentecost. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? God's global agenda was clear. Acts 10, 34 to 35, Peter was commanded to go and talk to the Gentiles and eat with them. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Jesus crushed those walls that existed in the early church. He crushed them. And all around our world people are trying to put those walls up between you and your fellow man. They're putting them back up. They're putting them back up. If they're there, they're reinforcing them. Well, you know what those people did. Well, you know what those people are like. Well, you, walls, 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 wall, everywhere, walls. That's not what Christ came for. He came to make us one, not to separate us. Jot this down. We're permanently united to Christ. We're permanently united to Christ. It says in Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, Jesus have put on Christ. There's neither, same jersey, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all one in Christ. One. And if you are, you are Christ's, then your heir is according to the promise. We are permanently His. We're permanently one. We're permanently we. Not me. Not me. Me and my Jesus. We. We fused to Him. Our unity to Christ is now the foremost feature of our personhood. Nothing separates us from Him, and nothing separates us from one another. Above whatever else you are, you're in Christ. Wow! We're bound by God through promises as family forever. This is amazing! Permanently united to God through Christ. Do you see how any idea of superiority just is gone any idea of inferiority is gone we are one and jot this down we're permanently united to each other in christ there are a lot of things you can rally around there are a lot of groups you can become a part of in fact society loves to put you in a box and then to put your box of people against another box of people especially around victimization especially around hurt, especially around things done. You're in this box, and you and people in this box, there's an expectation of how you talk. But we are permanently united to each other in Christ. So whatever else distinguishes us, our unity to Christ and our unity to one another becomes the foremost feature of our humanity, of our new humanity. Now, a lot of people are trying to force this, force, that we're going to get along, we're going to force it through law, we're going to force it through training, we're going to force it uh, through, through online hashtag social media mobs, we're, we're going to force this injustice to go away, we're going to force it. It doesn't work at the heart and soul level. Oh, you might get the mouth under control, right? You might get the fingers under control, you're not getting the heart under control. You can't force it, Right? I saw a parent who tried to force her kids to get along. Check it out. She put them in the, what's called the get-along shirt, our get-along shirt. Oh, you're not getting along, are you? Get over here. Now go have fun. Is that gonna work? This is all society can try. We're gonna force that. They will be nice to each other. They will stop. It's, it's not. Brothers and sisters, it's not working. It's not working. But imagine if someone unveiled a plan tomorrow, okay everyone, we're going to start with the soul and the goal is to create permanent equality and unity under God. We're going to literally cement your spirits together. Then we're going to make a promise that everyone's treated the same forever. Do you see where I'm going here? The plan found in scripture is out of this world and it's the only hope we have. It has to be at the soul level. Imagine if physically you woke up tomorrow and you were literally superglued at the hand to two other people from a different race. And then that was going to be your life, the rest of this world. And then they were also superglued, the entire human race. Imagine superglued at the hand to people who were from different races than them. Imagine that world. How are you going to eat? How are you going to get around? How are you going to get to work? Hey, listen, brothers and sisters, that's already true of us in Christ. We are spiritually one with everybody else in the church. Shouldn't we act like it? Shouldn't we embrace it? Shouldn't we see the beautiful thing Jesus has done? It's already a reality. So we don't have to force some sort of superficial equality. Fine, I'll stop saying bad things about them. No, no. we've got more than that. I'm going to embrace them as equal, one with me in every way for eternity. That's where it's at. We can't force equality, justice, unity. We can't repay evil for evil. It will only, it has only led to cycles of mutual hatred and endless retaliation. But Jesus brings a better way. So let's close this out. What is racism? Racism is embracing the lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Embracing the lie that race makes a person superior or inferior. That happens in here. You embrace that lie, I'm here. And then all the racist actions and thoughts and words come from that lie. <clears throat> but if we are spiritually undivided from God in Christ, spiritually equal in every way in God's holy presence, if we are spiritually one with Christ and one another, then skin color must never become a basis for division or inequality. So heart check. Have you embraced the lie that someone is better or worse because of their skin color? Have your words made it clear that those people are here while your people are here? Do you see now how incompatible that lie is with the truth found in the Bible? Are you ready to believe and speak about others, regardless of their background, as being your equals in every way that truly matters in Christ, and let go of the arrogance, the haughtiness, the hatred, and the stereotyping that comes from forgetting where you were when God found you? Will you speak truthfully and lovingly now, or will you soon stand before God and be ashamed as every wicked word is brought into the light? Humility now or humiliation later? Let's embrace the love of God we heard about today and build it into our families and our church and our world because this is the only place we can find the principles of equality and unity. Only in Christ. It can be found nowhere else on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this truth This can be found nowhere in the world. That a man, the ultimate foreigner, stepped down from the ultimate other world, heaven, crossing over, took on flesh, became human, lived the perfect life, was accused of being a half-Jew, a Samaritan, demon-possessed, took it all, died on the cross, was buried on the third day, rose again, and now rules heaven, and beckons all the world, To come into his presence on equal terms what a beautiful picture of a new humanity being created and lord why would we settle for anything less than permanent equality and unity and justice permanent across all racial and ethnic barriers that's what we want build it into our hearts build it into our homes build it into our church build it into our world Help us to embrace, Jesus, what you have done at the cross, what you have done in our hearts. May we live that out and show the world a better way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.